All right, good morning. How is everyone? Good? All right, let's dig into the Word of God this morning. Worship was awesome, amen? You know, I heard someone say uh, this week in my D group, when, we, when it comes to worship, we should picture Jesus on the stage and we should be worshiping him. Isn't that a powerful image? When we come on Sunday morning, we envision that Jesus is standing right in front of us, the resurrected king, the resurrected savior, the one who conquered the grave, death, sin, condemnation, hell, amen, right? This is the king that we worship. This is, this is our sovereign God. Uh, this morning, we're gonna be continuing our, our sermon series uh, on the life of Moses. We're gonna be <clears throat> in Exodus chapter 33. We're gonna cover some ground this morning. I was actually hoping to cover um, a lot more ground than we're gonna cover today. Uh, I was very optimistic that, hey, maybe we could cover chapter 33 and some of 34, you know? Uh, but after last week, I went like a marathon. I think I preached the longest I've ever preached. I almost made it an hour. I was like at, I was like at 57 minutes, and I contemplated preaching three more minutes just to get to an hour. I contemplated it. But um, so I was gracious to you. I let you out early, right? Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Elijah. Thank you. All right. Um, Exodus 33, if you have a copy of God's word, I want you to turn there with me. Exodus 33, beginning in verse 12, and I'm going to read all the way down to verse 23. Exodus 30, 33, verses 12 to 23. This is the very word of God. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, Please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, is it not in your going with us that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Let's go to God in prayer. Father God, we just thank you, God, for your word. The Bible is your word, the very words of God, inspired, inerrant, without any corruption or error. God, we receive your word this morning. 
God, we, we pray that as we look into this passage that you would open up our hearts and our minds to your glory. God, may our hearts burn with a burning passion and desire like Moses' heart, his heart burned to know your ways. His heart burned to know your glory, to experience your presence in his life. God, may we have the same desire this morning. God, speak to us through your word, and we pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. Exodus 33. Here's point number one. The longing for transcendence is only satisfied in God. You know, sometimes we get this this, um, desire for what's temporary. What's temporary, what's fleeting, the physical world. But the reality is God has built you. He has created you. He has made you for something more. And that more is not this physical world with with all the the worldly pleasures and goodies and the things that people are just living for, right? People are are just consuming and it's just, it's a chase to find that next high, that next thing that will satisfy them. It's all temporary. It's all fleeting. God built us. He made us in his image. He made us so that we can know him. I want you to think about that for a moment. The creator of this universe made you. Not only did he make you, but he, he paved a way. He made it possible for you to know him. You know, the deists back in the day, they believed that, you know, God like uh, created the universe and he wound it up like a clock and he let it go. And he just kind of disappeared into the darkness of the universe. No, the Bible tells us that God came out of the darkness. He came out of the darkness. He created light. He created creation. He created mankind. And then we know that based on God's eternal redemptive plan, God penetrated our world through his son, with his son, the coming of his son, Jesus. We were made for more. We were built for more. We were made by God. We were made for God. We were made to glorify God in our lives. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's hearts, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. We shouldn't think about that. God has put eternity into man's heart. You, you never have to wonder, you know, do people think about spiritual things? Do they ponder death? Do they think about afterlife? Do they think about eternity? Do they think about purpose now? What's my purpose? What's my significance? Why am I here? Is there a God? How can I know him? How can I be made right with him? We, we all know in, inwardly that we are we're sinners, that we're broken, and we need someone to fix us. The Bible tells us that we need a Savior. God has put eternity into man's heart. I love what um, Augustine, he said, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Until you come to a pivotal pivotal point in your life where you recognize that you're broken and you need a savior who can wash your sins away and make you whole again, 
a savior that can make sense of your life until you make that decision. The faith decision, it's a choice. It is a, is a faith choice to cling to Christ. Until you make that decision, your heart will be restless. You can't show me anything that this world offers that you either you can buy, you can attain, you can enjoy that will completely satisfy you. There's nothing in this universe that will give you the satisfaction that a relationship with Christ can give you. He's the greatest treasure. He's the one that we will sell everything, right? To to get to buy that field which has that treasure. Christ is the treasure. Augustine was so right about our hearts being restless until we rest in the sovereign hands of God. Here's the deal. You are miserable until you find ultimate fulfillment in Christ. And the great thing about the gospel is that God has made a way for us to know him. So last week we looked at Exodus 32. The people were restless the people, you know, they were, they were, you know, they were wondering, where's Moses, this, this, the, the, our leader? They really, I think they got their eyes off of Yahweh. And they got their eyes on man. And they started focusing on Moses. And they were wondering, why is he delaying? And, and we know that they built this golden calf. They fashioned it. And instead of Moses, I mean, instead of Aaron having conviction and courage, to draw a line in the sand and, and say, you know what, I'm not crossing over that line. Because he didn't do that, and because he didn't have a um, you know, conviction of, 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 of steel and courage, a heart of courage, he gave in to the wishes of the people. He was appeasing the people. He was appeasing them. Well, we know the story. God is recommissioning, regrouping the nation of Israel under the leadership of Moses. We know Moses comes down the mountain and we looked at that last week. Now let's pick up the story in Exodus 33 verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, see you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. You have also found favor in my sight. Moses is recognizing that God has given him a job to do that he cannot do on his own. He's not capable to do this job. He, he doesn't feel equipped to do this job. You know, there's a lot of things that God calls us to. We don't feel equipped. We don't feel capable. We don't feel we have the abilities or the skill sets. You know, maybe, you know, if you've got kids, you know, <laughs> have you ever had any moments where you're like, I just can't be the dad, ultimately, that God wants me to be. Like, you're, you desire to be that father, you know, that dad, that godly father, but you're not, you're not going to reach perfection. You're going to fail time and time again. You, you can't be that father or that mother or that husband, that wife, that employee, that, that person, ultimately, that really God wants you to be at, at, all, at all times. There, there's failure in the game. Sometimes God calls us to do something and the job is too big for us. I don't have what it takes to do what God wants me to do. The job is too big for one person. God puts, God puts 
sometimes more on you than you can handle. You know, there's this um, false belief out there that, you know, God's not going to give me too much that I can't handle. Wrong. That is wrong. That is so wrong. That's not in the Bible. The Bible talks about temptation and how God's going to provide a way of escape. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that, that God is, you know, going to give you just enough that you can handle. No. God is going to put more on you, and then you're going to figure out, you're going to find out that, that you can only handle it with him. You can only get through that trial, that pain, that season, that heartache, that divorce, that estranged relationship. You can only do it. You can only get through it because of him, because of God's strength, because of God's hand, his persevering, his unwavering love for you, his strength, his wisdom, his goodness in your life. Look at verse 13. Now therefore, Moses is saying, now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. If I really have your favor, if I really have your, your blessing, then I need to see your ways, Moses is saying. Moses knew God's people. He knew that God's people, they were a, a stiff-necked people. You know, when your neck is stiff, it's hard to kind of move it, right? It's just stiff. It's locked up. The people were locked up spiritually. They were, just, they were, they were not following God's ways. They were stiff-necked. They were stubborn. They were, they were doing, doing things their way. And Moses is saying, God, if you've given me a job, you've given me a job that, that no one can do. But the key, here's the key to what Moses is saying. God's presence has to go with me. God, if, if you're going to bring us out, don't bring us out without you. This is what Moses is saying. Moses is like, I ain't going. I ain't going nowhere unless you're going with us. Look at verse 14. Exodus 33, 14. And he said, my presence will go with you, Moses. The Lord replies to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Moses, you have to go with me. Moses is like, God, you have to go with me or I'm, I'm not going. And God tells Moses, my presence will go with you. You know, it's like Moses is having this conversation. He's going back and forth, and, and he wants the same answer repeated again and again and again. You ever get like in, in your life where you, you can't let something go? Like maybe you're wrestling with God, and you're asking God for maybe confirmation, or God, show me, and then God shows you, and then you ask God again. Okay, God, show me again. Really show me. I, I, I did that over the last year, year or so. God, show me. God, show me again. And it's like, God's like, I've already shown you. And he's having this conversation with God. You, you, you argue. It's like, it's like arguing with someone, right? You give them the answer, but they're still arguing with you. Moses, he's arguing with God. He's all worked up. Look at verse 15. And he said to them, and he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. 
Moses repeats again. If your presence is not with me, then don't bring us up. I don't want to leave. I don't want to take one more step. I don't want to leave this land, this area, unless your hand is upon our lives. Look at verse 16. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? So it's a, it's a good question. You know, how shall it be known that we found favor in your sight? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? You know, a lot of people, they want to be unique. They want to be distinct, right? They, they want to stand out from everyone else. But in reality, really what they do is they, they kind of blend in. They kind of start looking like everybody else. They, their dress is the same. Their talk is the same. They like the same music. Everything's the same, right? And, and so when, when you look at this, this passage, you know, what makes a person unique? What makes a person distinct in the eyes of God? There's one big distinction that God is giving to Moses. The distinction is not what makes you unique is not the color of your skin. It's not your background, where you were raised. If you were raised in a, an affluent family or a poor family, it's not how much education you have. You know, a lot of people, they boast in their education. They, they, post in their, they boast in their degrees. You know, you walk into, you know, sometimes people's offices and they have like their degrees, you know, like, you know, framed and on the wall come to my office, you're just going to see books. There's no degrees on the wall. Like, I just care. I could care less, right? It's not about your education or your lack of education. It's not where you work or where you don't work. The key distinction is, is God's presence in your life? Is God's hand upon your life? That's what separates us. That's what separates us from a lost, fallen world. Here, here's the next point. The most important thing in life is God being with you. That's the most important thing in life. What distinguishes a person? What makes you unique? It's you walking with God. And when, and when you walk with God, and you open your heart to the word of God and you see the nature of God, the person of God. You see his attributes and, and you see his heart and his heart becomes your heart and, and then his values become your values and, and then you are slowly being renewed, changed day by day as you're exposed to, to the word of God. You become more Christ-like. You become more like Jesus. Well, then guess what? That changes who you are. And then people around you they see the change. They see something different about you. No longer, no longer are you the same person that you once were. People take notice. And, and sometimes people will say, hey, what's going on in your life? Well, why the change? You know, I, I, there, 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 there's a change in, in your language. You, you, you used to use profanity, but now you don't. I mean, you, you used to, you know, chase 
sexual encounters, but now you don't. You used to be a liar, but now, you, now you're telling the truth. You used to be so rude and so unkind, but now you're loving and you're patient towards people. People see a change. That's what distinguishes us from the world. I mean, this is what Moses said. Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I mean, circle that, underline that, right? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I mean, this is the big ticket item. God going with you. God going with you. God being with you. Teenagers, this, is God going with you where you're at? School, friends, on the ball field. Like if you're in college, is God going with you? Are you, are you shining bright the gospel in your life, in your marriage? Is God going with you in your marriage? Like is that the desire of your marriage that, you know, we're going to put God first in every area of our lives. How we treat each other, the gospel's going to be first. How we handle our money, the gospel's going to be first. How we raise our children, the gospel's going to go first. Our commitment to a local church, when it comes to community, when it comes to serving, when it comes to investing, is the gospel first? This is what makes this unique. If we claim to follow Christ, but our life doesn't mirror that, if there's no reflection of, of the, the saving message of the gospel, if there hasn't been any change, shame on us. Because a grace that saves you is a grace that transforms you. If you're going to be saved by the grace of God, it's going to transform you. It's going to change you. It's going to rewire you. Old things have passed away. Behold, I love that word behold. Isn't that great? Old things are gone. Some would say gone. Old things. The past, say it with me, is gone. Your former way of thinking prior to Christ is gone. Your affections for worldly things and pleasures are gone gone but when you come to Christ behold all things are new you become a new creation that's 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 born again language all over it you're a new creation you're born again that you're converted that's like an old school theological word converted people don't have you been converted people don't talk like that but it's Bible have you been converted that means have you been born from above? That's what, the, that's what the new birth is all about. Have you been reborn? Has Christ imparted spiritual life to you? And has it changed you? you say, I don't want to go, I don't want to do anything without God's hand, God's favor, God's blessing. I mean, this is the big ticket item. Is, is God going with us in our marriage? Is he going with you in your business? Is he going with you in, 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 um, in your decisions? You know, one, one thing that I'm, I'm actually learning from um, uh, a guy in my D group, and he said it so many times to me, and I've really taken notice, and 
it's caused me to really think about certain things because I'm, I'm, my personality, I'm just very action-oriented guy. Like, I'm like, you know what? All business, let's get it done, right? Let's just do it. You know, let's, and, and sometimes we need to slow down and say, God, do you want me to do it? Do you, do you want me to tackle that? Do you want me to go down that path? And so sometimes we need to slow down and, and really reflect, is, is God going with us where, where we're going? I mean, how successful do we want to be in our life? Well, success is, is based on being the person that God wants us to be, God going with us, God's presence upon our life. His life lived out in and through our life. That, that's the gospel. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Is the life of Christ being lived out in your life? That's the gospel. Are you living out the gospel? Are you living out Jesus' life through you by the power of the Holy Spirit? Moses says, is it not in your going with us that we are distinct? I mean, God, he's saying, listen, you know, we'll, we'll go, God, if you're going to go with us. You know, what, what, makes a, what makes a church distinct? I think what makes a church distinct is the presence of God. God working, God manifesting himself in, in spite of, you know, um, imperfections and limitations and weaknesses, right? I mean, I've been pastoring Summer Point Church for almost 13 years. We're not a perfect church family. Can I get amen? Listen, people are going to hurt you. They just are. When you rub shoulders with other people, you know, we all have idiosyncrasies. We all have like personality traits, you know, that maybe don't, you know, mesh well with other people. We all have opinions on certain things. We bring our background. We bring some, sometimes we bring our baggage to, to certain things. We all have a different viewpoint on, on certain non-essentials. I'm not talking essentials. I'm talking non-essentials. But the beauty of a church family is, you know what, we're in it for the long haul. We're committed to God, we're committed to one another, and when someone hurts me, I'm gonna choose to forgive. I'm not gonna choose to leave and go find another church. Because guess what? When you get, if you get, well, when you get hurt here, and you leave and you go to another church, guess what's gonna happen? You're gonna get hurt there. You're gonna be perpetually church shopping, church hopping, trying to find the perfect church that you will never, ever, ever, ever find. There has to be, there has, there's something to be said about just being committed to a local church family and allowing God to use you over the span of so many years to be a blessing to other people. I mean, th th this is one of the things we, we talk about serving and the body and functioning like the body. We gotta be healthy. Well, we need all the body parts. Listen, to try to pull off a whole Sunday morning thing, we need a lot of volunteers. You know, how many of you got a cup of coffee this morning? Raise your hand. Hum, raise your hand. Come on. Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you got a bulletin this morning? Everybody raise their hand. You better raise your hand. Bob, if they're, Bob, if they're not raising their hand, we got a problem, right? I mean, you're listening to me because we got volunteers on the media booth. We got a band. We got childcare. We got people changing dirty diapers for your discipleship. Those are the true heroes. Those are the true heroes, the people that are willing to get their hands dirty. No pun intended. But people who are willing to get their hands dirty so that you can grow in your relationship with Christ. What are you 
What do you do with that? You pay it back. You get involved in preschool. You get involved in kids. You invest your life in teenagers, media, greeting, coffee. I've actually contemplated doing a Sunday and surprising everyone, and there's no volunteers for nothing. You show up, there's no coffee. There's no bullets in. There's no one welcoming you with a smile. You go to check in your kids. There ain't no teachers because the rooms are dark. There's maybe a sign, closed today. Either go to big church or go home, right? I've actually contemplated it. I actually read an article years ago about a church that did that, and the pastor said, I almost lost my job because of it. He said, I almost lost my job. He said, but it was amazing to see the fruit of that Sunday. He actually pulled it off. It was a very stripped down version. Like it'd be like Joe up here on the guitar playing. No one else is playing with him. And the sound is really bad. It's like you could barely hear Joe, right? I mean, but he said the fruit of that was people thought, oh man, wow. It takes an army. It takes, it takes a village. It takes a body to make a body healthy. It takes all the members. All right, so there's my challenge. There's my challenge. Get your hands dirty. Get involved in ministry. All right, Exodus 33. I chased a few things there, so I'm trying to keep my sermon actually shorter today. Exodus 33, 17, 17 to 18. It says, the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. Underline that phrase. Verse 18, show me your glory. Here's the next point. Glory is the manifestation of God's presence. That's what glory is. It is the manifestation of God's presence. It is his Shekinah glory. Verse 16, how do we know if we found favor in your sight? You know, Moses is, is asking. The, the word favor is translated 122 times in the Old Testament. In various forms, it's mentioned 11 times right here in this passage, 11 times. You get some of God's favor and when you get his favor, you want more of God's favor. God is, is not running short on favor today. Isn't that good to know? God's not running short on favor. It's good to know that God's not running short. Doesn't matter how, uh, how God has blessed your mother or your grandmother or your grandfather or that uncle or that aunt or, or that great preacher 100 years ago or the Old Testament saint or, or the New Testament believer, God is not short on favor. He's not diminished in his capacity to show favor and blessing today. He's not running short. You know, sometimes we think, oh, I, I, I miss God's favor. I'm running late. I missed the party. No, God is still yet to do great things in your life, in this world, in this community, through you to bless your oikos, to, to bring them to a point of saving faith. Some of us need to have a greater vision, including myself, about God, you know what, I, I want more of your favor in my life. And we should be seeking God's presence and, and favor in our lives. We should be about this. God tells Moses, you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. God doesn't just know Moses by name, he knows you by name. 
And then Moses, his heart cry, his response to this, Moses says, show me your glory. Show me your glory. You know, I want you to, I've got a few fill in the blanks for you. Blessing is what you see. We all notice blessings in other people's lives. We see it. And, and oftentimes, oftentimes they're tangible, physical things that we can see with our, with our eye. Sometimes there are spiritual blessings. Favor is what you have. There's a difference. Blessing is what you see. Favor is what you have. Presence, presence is why you have it. Blessings is what you see. Favor is what you have that comes to you from God. And, and presence is why you have it. God's presence. That's why you have blessings. That's why you have favor. It's because God's given that to you. But the end game of all of it is glory. That's what it's all about. The blessings, the favor that God bestows upon you and, and he doles out to you richly, it's all about his glory. I skip point number three. Point number three is glory is the manifestation of God's presence. That's what it is. So when you look at blessing and and favor and God's presence, it all leads to one thing, God's glory in your life. That is center point. That is center stage. God wants to get glory through everything that you have. Everything that you receive by grace is a pointer, a marker to the glory of God. When you see someone incredibly blessed, you see God's glory, God's glory coming down upon their life. What you see, what you have, why you have it, it's all because of God's glory. Here's point number four. The universal longing is for glory. The universal longing is for glory. Glory is what emanates from God. The Bible tells us very clearly that we don't see God. We can't see God, but we see the handiwork of God. We see his glory. This is why Moses says, show me your glory. Look at Exodus 33, 19 to 20. And he said, I will make all my goodness. This is what the Lord tells Moses. I will make all my goodness pass before you. And will, pro- and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. He says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. This is a, a demonstration of God's glory. You can't see me, God is saying, but you'll see what I am. I'm going to proclaim my, my name, the Lord. You can't see what I am, but you'll see what I do. I'm gracious. I'm merciful. In verse 20, it says that no one will see God the Father and live. God is saying, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. You know, if we have this, a lot of people you know, they, they, they come out with these, you know, I, I had this vision, I had this dream, I saw God. Listen, the Bible says no man can see God and live. 
I mean, even Moses had to be in, in, tucked away in, in, in a cleft of a rock so that he wouldn't be incinerated by the glory of God. No one can see God. Hebrews 12, 29 says, for our God is a consuming fire. Paul's writing to young Timothy, his young protege in the faith, who's a pastor, and he, and he speaks about God, and he tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 16, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion, amen. God is a consuming fire. He dwells in unapproachable light. This picture of a consuming fire. God's holiness is blazing. His majesty is put on display. He dwells in a light that you, can, you cannot approach him. That's how bright his glory, his presence is. We cannot see God. We cannot see the face of God someday. We will see the face of God. We will behold his face. We will see Christ for who he is, and we will be like Christ. We will have a resurrected body. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day, a resurrected body. Some of you, some of, some of you maybe you're hoping for maybe to be a little taller, maybe, you know, or maybe a little shorter. I don't know, you know. Resurrected bodies in heaven. We don't see God, but we see his glory. We see his signature. We see his fingerprint. We see evidence that God has been there. That's the glory of God. See, for me, when I look at a sunset, it takes my breath away. When, when the sunset rises on the east and it's peeking over the horizon, the mountains in the morning, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to see this, the sunrise come up in the morning. It takes your breath away. When you go to a, a beautiful, beautiful area, maybe the Grand Canyon, you see some gorgeous mountainscape. That's not an accident. A design shouts a designer. When you see design, there is a designer. When you see beauty, there's someone who created that you see something glorious you know that God's been there glory is the manifestation of his presence it's his fingerprints his evidence that takes your breath away and another one that takes my breath away me and my wife we got four kids she gave me four kids three boys I mean if she was in the New Testament Old Testament she would be a blessed woman three boys out of four Okay, well, all right, well, okay, whatever. I was expecting some reaction, but you guys are kind of like just dead, you know. I mean, if you had boys, man, I mean, that's like security, man. That's everything. She would have been praised, three boys, right? Every time my kids were born, with tears streaming down my face, I would just say, there is a God. There's a God. There has to be a God. I mean, how could this be? This glorious moment with, without a creator God who's made this possible. And over the last few weeks, I've been contemplating, do I, do I touch on something, do I not? 
I've been here 13 years. I've never one time used this platform to push a political agenda. Not one time. Not one time have I told people to vote because I just don't want to waste my time on that. I, I want to be focused on the gospel. But there are sometimes, there are things that hit the ballots. And one, one thing that has hit the ballot is a proposition about abortion, about a, a basically, and a, a baby can be aborted at the, very, at the very moment prior to that baby being born. The Bible says that we should champion life. Life is not a political opinion. It is a moral, biblical issue. So we can't, we can't confuse what, what political opinion or, no, it's a biblical issue. Abortion is violation of the Ten Commandments. And so as believers, we need to champion life. We need to vote our values. And then I'll say this. If you're in the room and you've had an abortion, I want to tell you that there's nothing that you could ever do in your life that could keep you from the love and the forgiveness of God in your life. God can step in and he can wash away everything. The sin, the guilt, the remorse, the regret, he could wash it all away. This is the God of a second chance. He steps in and, and he gives second chances. I'm amazed not just at sunrises or sunsets or mountains or newborn babies. I'm amazed that the church, the church is God's idea. The church is whom Christ died for. And as believers, we should be distinct. Titus 2, 11 to 14 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. So you see at the beginning, it talks about the grace of God has appeared. That's Christ. The champion, the hero of grace, left heaven, came to this broken world, and, and he came with grace, and he came with love, and he came with mercy. And it says that we're waiting for this blessed hope, which is Christ, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. That's the greatness of the gospel. Christ gave himself for you. If you've ever wondered, am I loved by God? Does God know me? Does he know my name like Moses? Yes, he does. He gave himself up for you. Why? What's, what, was the, what was the end game? To redeem you, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Did you notice the key word for himself, for himself, for himself? The gospel is about the glory of Christ. The gospel really is not about you. It's about his glory. It's about his eternal plan. It's about his saving grace in our lives. There's nothing that we could ever do to, to earn it. It is a gift. He's given us his son, 
Jesus who died for us. Notice, it says, to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Possession and presence. The only thing that matters is God's presence, which is his glory. The only thing that mattered to Moses was, God, are you, are, is your presence going to be with us? Is your hand of blessing going to be upon us? We're not moving unless you're going with us. That should be our desire. When it comes to glory, as heat is to fire, as wet is to water, as light is to a light bulb, glory is to God. A light emanates from the light bulb. Wet emanates from water. Heat emanates from fire. Glory emanates from God. The universe and your individual life is about God's glory. That's the end for which God created the world. If, if you want to read more about it, Jonathan Edwards has, a, has a, a powerful sermon on the glory of God. The end for which God created the world. Go home and read it. It'll blow your mind. All right, here's the last point. We've got to wrap up. Anytime you see glory, it shouts the existence of God. It shouts the existence of God. That's what glory does. It's a fingerprint. It's signature. It's, it's evidence. There is a God. There has to be a God. Psalm 19, 1 to 3. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Glory is God's and God's alone. I mean, this is the principal discovery. Glory belongs to God alone. We don't gather to worship a created thing. We gather to worship the one who spoke the world and the galaxies into existence. They were formed and they're sustained by the power of his spoken word. He pulled the universe together and glory belongs to him. You know, if I pull out my, my cell phone, which is reminding me that time is up right now, I'm not looking at this phone saying, wow, you know, what an amazing phone. I respect this phone. No, I, I know that there was a designer behind the phone. There was someone who had the, the will, the smarts, the wherewithal, the intelligence to collaborate with other smart people to make this happen. When you look at the universe, you know that there's a designer behind the landscape of it all. You know there's a designer behind your life. God is the grand designer, and he's designed you. Before you were ever born, he knew your name. He knew everything about you. He knew every thought you would have, every step you would take, every motive that you would have in your heart, every action, every word you would ever say, he knew it all. God designs you so that you can be in a relationship with him. And God wants to show you his glory. We see his glory in creation. We see his glory in the Bible. But let me, 
Let me take you to one other evidence of God's glory. The cross. The cross is the perfect picture of God's glory. How can sinful rebels be forgiven by a just and holy God? Christ bore the wrath of God. He took upon your sin. He satisfied the the just demands of God because God is holy. Sin had to be dealt with. Jesus paid the debt that we owed God. He took the penalty. He absorbed the penalty in himself so that all of your sins could be nailed to the cross, forever nailed to the cross, and that you can stand before God because of faith in Christ, you can stand forgiven. You can stand accepted. You can stand loved by this God that wants to show you his glory. Let's pray.